You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. As Pastor said, there is nothing like the presence of the Lord. It will meet every single need that we have. If we'll just wait on Him, rely on that. You know, sometimes we're not quite sure even what He's doing uh, when He comes in to meet with us. But you'll find that something has been done in your heart just a little later that perhaps you didn't realize. Maybe a circumstance will come to light. Uh, a situation will come where all of a sudden you find either something has been removed that needed to be removed or something is added that needed to be added. And that's what the presence of God can do. And all of that, my friend, is because of what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary. That covenant that was cut, that wonderful redemptive work of the Son of God on our behalf. I don't ever get tired of point, pointing people to what Jesus has done. And don't you either, because that's why we have his presence, as Pastor has so uh, adequately said. I'm going to give you two passages tonight, one that I will have you turn to, the other I will simply quote. Both are very familiar to most of you, but please don't turn me out and tune me out. Uh, as we start, Romans chapter 8, please, verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now. Now. Right now. No condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. I want you to think about just a moment, and I'm not done reading, but I want you to think about the power that it took to set you free from not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin's domination in your heart and life. Not just freed from threat of death, but being freed from threat of failure to that old besetting sin that always dominated you. I want you to know that there's a power, and it is power. I said it is power. It has to be power. Because you already know the grip of sin and how it drove you and how it dominated you and how no matter how you grit your teeth and, and firmed yourself against it, it's still one. But the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, that's me, 
God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. The second verse, I'll just quote it, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. (laughs) After that, the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And I want to talk to you tonight about the power source of the believer and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The power source of the believer in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together tonight. We pray that you would guard my mouth, guide my thoughts, direct us into that which is most important for these that have gathered here today and those who perhaps watch over the Facebook feed. I ask, Lord, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come, that the Spirit of God would come, the one who makes teaching and preaching easy. And I ask for revelation, insight, strength to be granted. But not just that, Lord, let the delivering power of your Spirit be rising up within the heart and life of every believer And let the supernatural power to be a witness, a supernatural power uh, for the spirit of prophecy come upon us as we rest in what Christ has done for us. And we give you the praise and we give you the glory. And everyone said amen. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. The Holy Spirit is the believer's ever-present help and source of life. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said in verse 4 that we are to walk in newness of life. In newness of life. Now that doesn't mean that we're going to, as believers, walk or live or experience life um, by doing things different. Even though if you're truly born again, You'll do things different. I mean, you can't really be born again and stay the same. It's an impossibility. Because the power of the new creation, the power of true regeneration, means that God recreates you. Recreates your very soul so you feel different about things of God. And creates a new spirit so that you can constantly receive information about the Spirit of God, and you find yourself loving what you used to despise and despising what you used to love. It's a new creation. I've said it this way, and people laugh at it, but I'll say it to you. If you is what you was, then you ain't. Because there is power in the born-again experience. 
There is a supernatural function carried out by something greater than yourself when you come to Christ. Jesus died on Calvary to make available to us the person of the Holy Spirit. And he manifests his power in several different ways. And we have come to believe that there are experiences that we can have that releases his power for certain work. And that discussion has oftentimes turned into an argument. But I'm here to tell you that I'm not here to argue. I'm just to declare that you can have power from the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can have all the power that you need, both for internal change and external witness because of what Jesus did for you at Calvary. You don't have to settle for one or the other. The power source of the believer is the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. He's not divided. And when you, he's a person. You can't divide up a person. When he comes in, he doesn't just bring his arm and his leg and leave the rest for later. He comes in. I said he enters you. He comes in. He becomes your companion, your comforter, your guide, your teacher. At the moment of salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit enters the heart of the believer. And he's there in his mind to stay. He didn't come to leave. He came to stay. And that's why when regeneration and true salvation occurs, the power of the Holy Spirit immediately begins to change the way that you think, the way that you act, how you... And, and he immediately starts to do what he can to conform you into the image of Christ. But it's not that he flashes into your brain a list of rules and things to do. It's from the heart, from the inside. He's teaching you and he's leading in you. If you say something you're not supposed to say, you kind of go, whoops. Because the Holy Spirit is guiding your choices and correcting you when you get off track. This is the result of the Holy Spirit's presence when a person is born again. I was saved for six months before I was baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And I stand here today and tell you that the conforming work of the Spirit took away the drugs, took away the alcohol, took away the pornography, took away uh, the Copenhagen, took away... Yeah, that was a fun way. Brother Schweiger still laughs at me with the thought of me walking around like this, you know. But he didn't give me a list of rules. He took the desire out of my heart. And I didn't want that anymore. I said, no, that's not me anymore. That's not what I want. Because in recreating me, becoming a new creature and baptizing me into the person of Christ, I became something other than what I used to be. And I became one that had a new source of life. That's newness of life, a new source of life. The power source from my Christian experience then is the power of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecostals, and I am one, Pentecostals haven't understood this division of thought. 
I'm preaching better than you're amening. Because we thought, well, salvation just bought regeneration. And we even said, well, that's what they had in the Old Testament. Let me tell you, what you have today under the New Covenant is nothing like what they had under the Old Testament. You couldn't have been prior to Calvary. You couldn't have been baptized into Christ. You couldn't have been joined to Christ. You couldn't have been crucified with Christ. You couldn't have been buried with Christ. And you certainly couldn't have risen up to live in him with a new source of power in you. You couldn't have that because it wasn't available. And as you study the Old Testament and you look closely, there's not much evidence that there was any regenerating power happening in Old Testament saints. Now, human reasoning says there had to have been something, but the, I got to tell you as I searched the Old Testament, I can't find the evidence of it consistently spoken of in the Old Testament. But the prophecies that were given, for, 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 for instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, all of them prophesied that at a certain time in Israel's future, after they had gone astray and then came back to their Messiah, God would do an internal work. And those prophecies described what God is going to do in Israel when they accept Christ as their Savior. But what those prophecies also declare is what you and I have today because we've already accepted him. And that power source to change, that power source to alter what you are. I got news for you. An old dog can too learn new tricks. I don't care how long you've been stuck in the mud. You can learn. I said you can learn. I said you can learn. And by the new source of life on the inside of you, you can be set free from the drudgery of weight and sin that does so easily beset us. But Pentecostals said, well, when you get the second subsequent work, that's when the Holy Spirit goes to work. Wrong, oh, bucko. That rodeo won't buck. It won't go. That dog won't hunt. That boat doesn't float. Because the moment you get saved, the power of the Holy Spirit comes inside and begins the transformation process. And that continued process is not dependent upon your performance. And it's not dependent upon another experience. It's dependent on you trusting in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If you understand the law of faith that we preached last night, that means that your faith is in Christ and what he has done for you. Then the Holy Spirit is going to help you progressively grow and move towards the image of Christ. He won't let you alone. He'll be all over you like white on rice. You try to back up, he's going to push you forward. You said, I'm not going back to church. I quit. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm, something deep down on the inside of you said, uh-uh. 
You're not quitting. You're not giving up because I haven't given up. You're not over because I'm not over. This isn't all that's been said because I haven't said everything to you yet I want to say. And out of the hatred of failure and sorrow and hurt, you rose up again to step forward one more time. That is power. And, of course, the argument has been over and over and over again. Well, oh, you know, you, you didn't, they didn't have the Holy Ghost until... They didn't have the Holy Ghost until Pentecost because He didn't come till Pentecost. They didn't have the Holy Ghost for what you have now because the Holy Spirit hadn't come to do that yet. He wasn't available. But on the day of Pentecost, He came. Because of what Jesus did. And when the Holy Spirit came, he brought with him the potential and the power that we have to both live in and, secondly, here we go on the other track, work by. The life that we live, we live by faith in Christ and what he has done. And the Holy Spirit honors our honoring Christ and works in us and transforms us. But there is a second subsequent work that sometimes happens to people instantly, and sometimes there's a period of time between the beginning and the next experience. And the Pentecostals have it right that there's a second subsequent experience. And that experience is not for your personal growth, even though when you encounter what we refer to as the baptism with the Holy Spirit, it can, in many cases, make you more aware of the Spirit that has been living in you all this time. But the purpose of that second work is to equip you with supernatural power so that you can, in fact, operate to share your faith with other people with a supernatural supply. Because the church's function is not to get rich. It's to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. And if you'll believe in him, He'll save you. And then that same thing you have experienced is passed on to somebody else. But it takes the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to break through the human heart that's been hardened by sin. Jesus was the best teacher and preacher you could have ever wanted to come hold a revival for you. And Israel rejected him. And then he goes to heaven after he's crucified, sends back the Holy Spirit. But before that, he told his disciples, guess where I'm sending you guys? I'm sending you to the group that killed me. How'd you like that assignment? But don't try to take on the job until I send back the Holy Spirit for the second work so that when you speak, when you speak about me, 
something supernatural begins to flow through you. And the broken heart, uh, that, that hardened heart is broken not by your style. It's not style. It's not sweat and spit and move and this and that. Everybody's style ought to just be what they are. You ought to preach or share Jesus with what you are. I, I get excited about what I'm talking about, so I'm a little animated, but I suppose I could talk. No, I can't either, but... But, 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 but the, the, it's not the style, pastors, that give you the Word of God to that heart that's hardened. It's the work and power of the Holy Spirit that will break past the ideas that are in the brain and the hardened heart of the human being and make that person see what they couldn't see before. Jesus is sending back to the most hard-hearted group that has ever existed. They saw Jesus. And they rejected him. They saw him and they rejected him. He offered himself. He said, come unto me and I'll give you life. Search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but you need to come to me. And, and to give evidence of his, of his status as to who he was. He fulfilled prophecies by healing the sick and raising the dead and walking on water and all the miracles that he did. That wasn't for show. The Holy Ghost, can I say this to you, is not a show. It's not to impress you. These, and I I hope you don't have one up, Pastor, but uh, these billboards that say, you got miracles, question mark, that's offensive to me because the power of source of God is not a circus. It's not a show. It's something given by God so that the heart of the human being that's been hardened by sin could be broken by a supernatural power that's something out of this world. And if you don't understand that you have to have that in order to minister the gospel, then ladies and gentlemen, you're going to try to win people in the flesh. You can't win. If you can talk somebody into being a Christian, then somebody else can come along and talk them out of it. But when the power of the Holy Spirit reveals to that individual by the working of the Holy Spirit that they are a sinner separated from God by sin, in, then that's when they come down the aisle. That's when they fall on their knees. That's when they pull the car over to the side of the world and say, I'm a sinner. Help me. God, God said, I've been waiting on that. That's not, that's not emotionalism, even though it's an emotion. It's not just a show. It's not a fad. It's not a style. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. got to have it in our individual lives. We have to have the power source for the believer, both for transforming us into what God wants us to become, because part of being a witness, Acts 1 and 8, is that transforming power evidenced in your life. It's not just speaking in tongues. You shall be witnesses. Listen, <laughs> what you say is not always as important as what you are. So you don't need either or, you need both. 
My Baptist brethren, you don't just need the power to be changed, you need the power to speak. My Pentecostal brethren, you don't just need the power to speak in tongues, you need to understand how the power within you can transform you so that the thing you're talking about, you become. Are you following me? And the argument over one or the other and between the the Baptists and the Pentecostals has separated us from truths that we both need to get. And that's where the message of the cross comes in. The message of the cross takes us back to basics. Christianity 101 and teaches us that the power within is not something that is garnered when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. The event that brings the initial work of the Spirit into us and maintains in us for transformation is salvation. The event that we encounter that causes us come through and speak in other tongues is the power of the Spirit for service. Are you with me? And if we don't understand that there are two different things, same Spirit, one Spirit, and let me tell you this, the way that you got saved by faith in what Christ has done is also the way you receive the Holy Spirit, by faith in what Christ has done. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not better because you speak in tongues. You're potentially equipped. Man, we've had Pentecostals with pride on their shoulders that say, bless God, I'm a Pentecostal. So what? If you were really being transformed by the power of Jesus, you wouldn't even talk like that. You'd be humiliated to talk like that because Jesus said, learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest into your souls. Until we start looking like him, we won't operate like him and we won't be effective like him. But the experience is all potential. Do you understand that? Both are. Your salvation brings you the potential of change. You can quench the spirit. You can place your faith in the wrong object and stop the spirit's work. But you can do the same thing with the gifts. You can do the same thing with, with, the, with the supernatural empowerment for service. You can think that you did it, that you earned it, that you prayed it in, that you fasted it in, and you'll short-circuit the power of God. We need to have the fruit of the Spirit for our individual lives, and we need to have the power of the Spirit for ministry. When Paul talked about the gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12, right in the center of his writings, it, weren't, it wasn't chapters, we divided that, what we call chapter 13, is the power of love that's created by not the baptism, but by salvation. So you have gifts, 12, chapter 12. You have change, chapter 13, being conformed to them. And then you have gifts again. And it mirrors exactly what was on the 
bottom of the robe of the high priest. On the bottom of the robe of the high priest in ancient Israel. And everything in the old covenant is types and shadows of what Jesus would bring. There, on, the, on the hem of the garment of the high priest who was, we were singing it just a minute ago, that entered into the, uh, the, the holy of holies was a bell and a pomegranate. A bell and a pomegranate. The pomegranate was a fruit. The bell was a bell. But if you have two bells right next to each other and they clang up against each other, that's all you got. You got a clanging cymbal. But when a bell representing the gift of the spirits, the gifts of the spirit, makes its contact with the fruit of the spirit, you have a clear clarion sound of the bell ringing. We don't just need pomegranates. And we don't just need bells. We need a bell and a pomegranate. A bell and a pomegranate. A bell and a pomegranate. The source through salvation to be changed into the image of Christ. And the supernatural power given through the baptism with the Holy Spirit that allows us to do what men can't do. It's not either or. So at the day of Pentecost, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit and he is now available to you, both as your power source of change and your power source for ministry, all because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. I work with a man who found that out the hard way. There's no one I respect more than Jimmy Swaggart. And if he was here tonight, he would tell you that his failures in the past that the world still holds over his head were the result of the fact that he did not understand what I just preached to you. At a time frame where his life was broken by failure, The Lord told him, I'm going to show you things about the Holy Spirit you don't. I mean, he's Mr. Pentecost. Mr. Pentecost. People would write letters, he'll tell you. Write letters to Baton Rouge and see him on television, don't know his name, but because he was so strong with the Pentecostal message, and rightly so, because we need it, people would just write, Mr. Pentecost, and he'd get the letter. So what did Mr. Pentecost not know? Because what you don't know and what you don't believe... Is what you live without. You can't afford to live without the power source to change you. You can't afford to live without the power source to help you in your service for God. And every single one of you. I, you may not stand in a pulpit, but you are in service of the king. Your life matters where you work, where you act. And, and what we are oftentimes opens up the door for what we say. So if I'm being changed and people notice that, hey, I am different than everybody else in the office, everybody else in my school, everybody... 
Now you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the groundwork has been laid by your life and the supernatural power of the Spirit can now flow through your mouth. Amen, Brother Larson. Preach on, Brother Larson. Teach it, brother. That's the power source that became available. Brother Swigert didn't know it and subsequently fell twice in front of the whole world. And I know this man. I spent more mornings with Jimmy Swigert in the last 30 years than my own wife. I've worked with him side by side. There's no one that loves God more. There's no one that's more in, in desirous of spreading the gospel. I've never seen someone so single-minded as he. Puts us younger guys to shame with his single eye and his single-mindedness for getting the gospel out. But it doesn't matter who you are if you don't know or you... Walk in newness of life. And you won't have the power source to proclaim and declare what you need to when it's time to declare it, whether you're a pastor or someone that's just a Christian. You need to understand how important you are. But there are two separate events ushering in two separate works of the one Holy Spirit. But all of this is, again, paid for by Calvary. Let's take a look first, if I can, for a few minutes here at the power source to change us. Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore, therefore now no condemnation. Yeah, I heard it going. Um, is the battery down? Did I hit it? Yeah, okay. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't sit in the seat of condemnation and the seat of justification at the same time. If you are tonight a believer, and your faith is in Christ and Him crucified, then you sit in a justified seat. And for you, right now, there is no... There is none. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is... Okay, justification is God's declaration of the fact that you're innocent of all charges. Condemnation is a verdict of a judge that says you're guilty and we're going to exact payment from you by taking you down and punishing you. Condemnation. The man on death row at Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana has been condemned to death. He is under condemnation. It is a verdict. You are either justified by your faith in Christ or you're condemned by your lack of it. But you can't be both. So tonight, if you're a believer, there is there for now, right now, right now, right now, no condemnation. 
And then he gives us this idea, uh, who, are, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Condemnation is a verdict, but we can also look, as Brother Swigert does, at condemnation as a sense of guilt. What causes us a sense of guilt? Failing. Okay, you don't do it. Failing. Failing. Failing causes a sense of guilt, which is not the term condemnation, but it can sometimes be referred to as condemnation in the sense of its guilt. But you can resolve that by walking after the Spirit. That's why I taught you on the law of faith last night. Because if your faith is in Christ and Him crucified, then guess what happened? The power source on the inside of you is going to start giving you freedom. It's progressive. It's not all at once. We couldn't handle all at once. Little by little, stage upon stage, here a little, there a little, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit knows where you are. Some of you have said, well, why hasn't he taken care of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera yet? Well, he's working on the first et cetera before he gets to the second et cetera. And some of the et ceteras he's working on, you haven't even realized need work yet. He's working in a manner, I said he's working in a manner that is to your best, uh, to your best, to what he has you in mind. He takes things out and he places things in. And we don't always see what it is that he's doing. We don't always see how he's working. But as the song says, he's always working. He's always working. Even if I don't see it, he's working. What causes him to work? Is it how good I am and what I'm doing? Not at all. What causes him to work in the progressive sanctification of the saint is that your faith is in Christ and him crucified, and little by little the failures began to diminish. I wish I could say that when you know the message of the cross, there won't ever be a failure again, but that's a lie. That's not right. That's not true. That's why you need justification because when you blow it, you got to know that it's not all over. If you repent and ask God to forgive you, there is still no there is still no condemnation and we get back to letting the Holy Spirit do in us what He needs to do and then the next time that Mama bounces the check, your response, well, she only bounced it Oh, major gift that you are because you forgot to deposit your check. I'm just, just, sorry, guys, sorry, guys. Hello. But the experience that used to drive you crazy and the explosion of flesh that everybody saw, all of a sudden the same thing happens and on the inside you're just like, oh, Am I the same guy? Am I just getting older because I'm getting mellow? No. No. The law of the spirit of life, because your faith is in Christ, is causing those failures in your life to diminish. We won't ever get rid of all of the nuances of the flesh and connections of the world and the devil until we're glorified. And at that point in time, we'll say, never again. 
But until then, we have to understand what Christ has done so that there's no condemnation and so that I can rise above guilt because there's less times that I'm failing than there was before. Now, understand this. The closer that you get to God, the deeper the work is going to have to be Because he's going to open up your spirit and your heart to see things about yourself you never saw before. If you can look at yourself this year, a year ago I was here, and you're still the same person, you're not, you're not proceeding right. There needs to be something that's been changed. There's fruit on that tree if God is working. And that work of the Spirit is accomplished because of what Christ has done for us. So if we have the salvation experience and there is no condemnation and then we're walking in justification, then the law of the Spirit of life should be diminishing the number of times I fail and the way that I fail in my everyday life and I'm leaving condemnation in the sense of guilt behind as well as verdicts. Because the power source of the Holy Spirit have made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you see it? So the law of faith introduces us to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And every believer has this. We don't have to be dominated by sin. Brother Swigert came from the Pentecostal background. He came from, really, if we study Pentecost and go back to its origin, we'll find that it was birthed out of the holiness movements in the late 1800. And when the baptism with the Holy Spirit first occurred, they had been praying for uh, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what ushered in that change in the 1900s. A group of people that said, we need more of the Holy Spirit. But they were following the teachings of John Wesley that said, there's a second subsequent experience that you can be totally sanctified if you have it. And they referred to that as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So when the power of the Holy Spirit came in the 1900s and a little before and then in Azusa Street, they didn't call it the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They called it baptism with fire because to their thinking, sanctification was an event that you had and the third event was baptism by fire and that's when you began to speak with tongues. But after about 14 years of that idea, there came a man that said, hey, you know what? Um, you've got it wrong. There is no event that totally sanctifies us. So the second event is a baptism with the Holy Spirit, and that's for service. And the first event is salvation. And if our faith is kept in Christ and the cross, then we will, in fact, be changed by the power of God. And that controversy that erupted in the 1900s is called the finished work controversy. And it separated the church of God and formed those that believed that there was only two works of God's grace formed the assemblies of God. 
but they were formed on the message of Christ crucified as the source that changes and the baptism as the source that supplies power for service. But by the time Brother Swigert came in, that whole idea had been lost. See, this message is not new. It will surface throughout history of the church in different peoples at different times where God was trying to get us to see what he had done for us in Christ. But Brother Swigert said he never heard of this idea, this finished work controversy that actually was the birth of the assemblies of God. He never heard of it because people took the message of the baptism and began to place their faith in the baptism with the Holy Spirit as the means of sanctification. You're trying to use a hammer when you need a wrench. You're using a fishing pole when you need a when you need a plow. Doesn't work like that. And if we don't understand it, and we don't understand where faith and grace come in, and we think that we can pray our way through because we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, then we are short-circuiting the life and God's power on the inside of us. Because God will not share His glory with anyone. And so when Brother Swigert fails, he looks at all of those situations and all of his teaching and he says, there's something about the Holy Spirit I don't know. Lord, show me. It wasn't a lack of desire. It wasn't a lack of character. He didn't understand why sin could have dominion over him. He'd been baptized with the Holy Ghost. He's praying like crazy. I came from the other side of the equation. I was the Baptist boy that left church when I was 11 and 12. And when I came into this wonderful experience, God immediately sent me, almost immediately set me down in a Pentecostal church. Let me tell you something. You need to be in a church. You need to be in a church where they'll feed you consistently, where you can share your time, your talent, your tithe. I'm glad that we're there as a network to feed you and strengthen you, but when you as a person have the opportunity to be in a church that's a good one, that's preaching the truth, you need to be in it. And they need you and you need them. TV can't give you a hug. TV can't reach through there and lay hands on you like we did here earlier tonight. TV can instruct you. And if you don't have anything else or you're a shut-in and you can't get out, I understand that. But if you can at least get to a local assembly once a month, you can share your love and your gifts with somebody else. God sets us in churches. He sets us in families. The psalm said that he sets the solitary in families. And listen, no matter where he sets you, it's going to be dysfunctional. Let me use a psychological term. It's going to be dysfunctional because you're in it. And he's in it. And she's in it. And they're in it. And all these squirreled up nutcases that say yes to Jesus, that haven't got it all right yet, that are in the process of being changed. Well, I don't go to church because they're all hypocrites. Well, then a hypocrite is closer to God than you are. 
Every church has people in it, therefore it is imperfect. So God has garnered together his body in Christ in imperfect settings. No one church has it all together. No one church knows everything. No one minister has every single nuance of the scriptures right. Doesn't mean we're not trying. Doesn't mean that we don't want to. You just have to recognize there is no perfect. So stop looking for perfect and bring yourself into the imperfect and say, I'm imperfect too, but I'm here. And he set me down in a Pentecostal church. God knew what I would need. And I almost immediately got exposed to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I wanted it. I didn't know why I wanted it. I didn't even know why I needed it. They just said, hey, you can have this and you'll have gifts and this and this and this. And it's, and it's wonderful. Now let me stop a second. I have taught Pentecostal distinctives in our Bible college for nearly 25 years. I've been there 30. My Lord, I'm getting old. And in that class, we discussed the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I asked the students, tell me what happened in your life when you got baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And you know what, Pastor? Every story is different. Nobody's the same. Bob Cornell and I are about as different in our stories on the baptism as people can be, but we represent the two sides of it. Bob was raised up in a Baptist church, and they said, it, it's not for today. You can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have it. And Bob got it. <laughs> and when he got it, he was just persecuted. But Bob said that when he got saved, it made him love Jesus just supremely. It was a total difference to him. But remember, where he came from is that he was told that the Holy Spirit didn't do those things anymore. Listen, what you're told in the family that you're set in greatly impacts what you believe, and what you believe greatly impacts what you experience. So if you've been told that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't do those things like he did in the book of Acts anymore, you don't expect it. You don't expect the gifts. You don't even expect the supernatural power for change that's in you. So when all of a sudden that second subsequent work hits you, it's like, oh, he really is real. Whoa! But he was in you all the while. But your doubt and unbelief and the teaching that you found yourself receiving silenced the voice of the one who was already on the inside of you. So your experience with the baptism made you believe that the baptism brought more to you than it did. On the other side of it, I came in and my dynamic, I mean, those first six months for me were dynamic. The Lord was speaking to me, talking to me, guiding me through the scriptures, guiding me in life, guiding me in finances, talking to me. And I remember talking to Brother Swigert about those first six months and, and uh, he said, oh, that's when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I said, no, I wasn't baptized yet. He said, oh. See, because my experience was so dynamic, you don't know where I was. And when I met him, he came to be my friend, my comforter. I 
relied on him. I looked to him. No one told me it was supernatural. It just it was God, and God was in me, and I said, yes, Lord, and I, I learned, and I loved him. And, 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 and I pursued the baptism, and I remember on July 6, 1986, exactly six months after I was saved, and all these dynamic changes in me had already happened. I'd been praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit for about two, three months. And, you know, Pentecostals, we're loud, you know, so we go to prayer meeting. Oh, Jesus, give me the baptism. Oh, Jesus, give me the I just thought if I shouted real loud, he'd do it. And all the brethren said, yeah, shout on, shout on, shout. He'll get it. We'd get done with prayer meeting. Oh, I thought you were going to get it tonight, brother. Thought you were going to get it. You were just this close, you know. People up there shaking me. Fill him, Lord. Others, empty him, Lord, you know. I didn't really know what to expect on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I thought God was going to knock me down and take my tongue and make me do it. I didn't know. But you know what? I want it. I want whatever it was. Lord, I want it. Because what I already had was so dynamic. And July 4th came around, the first July 4th as an adult that I'd had, that it wasn't time to go out and get crazy. And I woke up at home and opened up a paper and started to read the paper and got to the back where the ads were. And I began to see all the parties advertised and the bars saying, you know, half off and happy hour and this and this and this. And I began to cry. Sitting in my house all by myself, Lord, somebody, somebody's got to tell them. That's not life. Lord, someone's got to tell them that's not life. And I just wept. I was broken for the lost. And I, it was probably an hour, maybe more, that I just spent in prayer just thinking, Lord. And then I turned the page, and on the next page, there was an ad down in the little corner that said, Holy Ghost Revival tonight. I said, that's where I'm going. Because <laughs> my church wasn't open. Holy Ghost Revival tonight. I'm going. And I got there, and they had a set, all set up, you know. It was a tent outside the big church in Nashville. And it was a tent revival, but the big church was right next door. They had it in the parking lot. And we got there. There was probably 110 people there. I went there, and the pastor got up, and he preached out of Mark 16. And in Mark 16, remember, I'm a fairly new believer, still learning the Bible. He said in Mark 16, it says, And they shall speak with new tongues. And I don't know what it was, but faith to believe to receive just popped into my head right there. I, was, I, I don't remember what he preached. I don't remember how he preached it. I didn't even know how he presented it. But he said at the end he was going to pray for people to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And when he said, is there anyone here that wants to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? I thought, man, everything in this place is going to be like me and run down to the front. And all two of us went. <laughs> and I'm in my heart, me, 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 me. I want it. I want it. I want it. I see it in Scripture. It's there. I want it. I want it. I want it. And so they did what everybody tells us today we aren't supposed to do. They took us from the tent to separate rooms in the church. And the guy that was there with me, it was just me and him, he was nervous. Now, I'm, I'm like, come on, man, dude, pray for me. Let's do it. And he's like, you know, 
And I'm thinking, pray, let's pray. And so he explains to me how to receive. And, and you know, I don't know really what to expect because I've heard all these stories of how everything explodes and whoa, and you're like, and that was kind of like Bob's story. You know, for him, it was explosion and what have you. And so I'm sitting there, and the guy finally lays hands on me and begins to pray. And 10 seconds later or less, out of me, quietly, comes this language. I hear it in my inner man, and I start to speak it. I'm waiting for bells and whistles to go off. I'm waiting for the bombs to explode. And it isn't happening. It's just this deep flow that came from here and begins to flow out of me. But the guy that prayed for me went nuts. He jumped, he yelled, he screamed, he ran around the room, and I thought, I thought I was supposed to do that. <laughs> See, I had already experienced the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus for change. I already had that dynamic experience. But when it was time, and it was that week that God called me into full-time ministry, and I made the commitment that from then on I would preach the gospel. He knew I needed the equipment. But the impact of it on me was different than it was other people. And the baptism, you, it, it, it depends on what you've been taught, where you've been. It, it, it does the same thing for everybody. It will equip you with a supernatural power for service. But I found one thing that was different for me was there was a supernatural sensitivity to the Holy Spirit relative to evangelism. And, and I found that, uh, well, i got to tell it, I found that through failure. Because the very next day, here I am, baptized with the Holy Ghost, rolling around town. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a repairman for a pool company. And everywhere I go, I'm always using everything I can to share my faith and let everybody know I got saved. And, you know, and now I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm single. I'm out there working like crazy. And, you know, when you have to pay 50 bucks for a guy, a workman, to come to your house and look at your pool, and I show up, they look at your hand and they say, oh, can you do that work? I said, yeah, I lost my fingers in a textile factory accident, but I play piano for a church. Church? Oh, yeah, the pool's right over here. Yeah, But I always looked for when I went on because I was excited about Jesus. But remember, I'm single, I'm 25 years old, and I get on site, and there's three women in bikinis there. Stay holy with me now. I'm working pools. This happens all the time. And the cutest one walks up next to me and she says, hey, uh, thanks for coming out to do the pool. Do you want a beer? And everything in me is supposed to say, Jesus has delivered me from beer. I've been saved and my life has been changed. There's the chance. There it is right there. And on the inside of me, I went, uh, 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 not right now, thanks. And I started to walk towards the pool pump and the filter where I was going to do the work, and the Holy Ghost hit me. Almost bent me over. Put the toolbox down, went and got into the truck, had to drive away from the yard because I was sobbing. There was the chance 
there was the opportunity to witness the power of the Holy Spirit was ready. Those ladies needed it. And I let my pride stop the work of the Spirit, and it bent me, brother. Literally bent me. I stopped crying, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I went back to the pool, and they were gone. But you know what? From that day to this, I realized that the baptism with the Holy Spirit had done a change in me for service. It hadn't done the initial work of freeing me from the drugs and the alcohol because God's Spirit did that for me. So I came not from the religious, we know what the baptism with the Holy Spirit does, from the I've been lost and I've been beaten up and I've been overwhelmed by drugs and alcohol and I got saved and then I got filled and then I got to Bible college about a year and a half later and the whole world fell apart at the Bible college after Brother Swigert failed and they brought in a new teacher by the name of James Stone that began to preach on grace and I saw it. The year is 1989. I saw it. It's grace. Already just four years into being a believer, I'm already getting wrapped up in the I do this and I do that and you don't do it and I do it and I've got this and you don't have. And when he started teaching on grace, I saw it. And I began to learn. And again, it was my failure. In 1989, I was married, and Hannah and I were married, and, and my failures in losing my cool over things that she did was, was almost ruining our marriage, and I fell at the feet of the Lord, and I said, why can I go into prisons, but I can't do that right? And I won't go into it because it takes too long, but... The Lord led me in those years from 89 to 94 and taught me grace and faith. When Bob Cornell came into the school, I think in 93, I'd been teaching for a while, and I was already teaching grace and faith, that it's not what we do, it's what we believe. But the problem with grace and faith, without the message of the cross is that your faith bounces all over the place. You're looking for grace by faith, but you don't know how to get it consistently. You know it's faith and grace, but you always end up trying to work instead of just knowing what to believe. He says it was 97. I said it was 96. I, I don't know who it was, but the man that came from the Pentecostal religion and the man that came from Sin and degradation and failure as a Christian were sitting at a table on a radio program. And I'm a faith and grace guy, but my faith is not cemented. And he's a Pentecostal who believes in the power of Pentecost. And we're learning about this thing we're now calling the message of the cross. And we're almost done with the statement. We're almost done with the day. And he says, the Holy Spirit will only work within the confines of the 
finished work of Christ. And I, I, I went, that's it. That's the anchor. And, and even without thinking, here the young upstart across the table says to the man who's preached to more people than most people will ever do, can you give me scripture for that? And his own testimony is, how could I? It was just something that rose up out of my spirit as a result of our teaching. And I looked down on the, the scripture. And it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And I knew at that moment that that was my anchor. That's how, do I, that's how, I, that's how I receive grace consistently. That's how I accept the power. That's how I receive the power of the Spirit that I need to continue the change. It's not just faith and grace. It's centered in what Christ did for me. And he got up from the table and the Lord spoke to him and said, I told you in 1988, I was going to show you some things about the Holy Spirit that you didn't know. I just showed you. And salvation meets Pentecost. The work of the Spirit at salvation and the work of the Spirit for service is now divided, but yet it's one. Hard to explain, but to experience it, everyone simply needs to place their faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then through the experience of salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit is there to change you if you keep your faith in Christ in the cross. And if you experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit, if you keep your faith in Christ and the cross, the Holy Spirit honors that and begins to help you and aid you in your service because he only wants to glorify Christ through us. Your power source is available to you. Change comes after the salvation experience. Power for service comes through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's not either or, my friend. It's both. And it's all granted to you freely by what Jesus did for you at Calvary. Would you stand with me, please? Come, Holy Spirit. Jeff, I need you. Musicians. I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come in thine own gentle way. Find whatever key you're comfortable with. What am, what am I singing in? What is it? Nobody sings in D sharp. Let's uh, take it to D, maybe. For the musicians, no, D sharp is not anointed, I promise you. Give me a D. Come, Holy Spirit, 
Sing it with me and yield your heart to God. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength. Here's what I want to do tonight. If you need something in your heart to change, you need to reach out by faith for the work of the Holy Spirit for change. I want you to move out of where you're standing today and come and stand on this side of the platform. If you're here and you've never been baptized with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, but you want that as a power in your life to witness the beak, I want you to come and stand on this side of the platform. Don't hold back. This is a time when God can minister to you, and we're going to minister and pray with you that whatever the need is, the Holy Spirit can bring to you. So step out of where you're standing if that fits your description. Oh, won't you come, Holy Spirit, I need you want God to change your heart. You want God to do something in you that he's never done before. Come on. You need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. With the evidence of speaking with other tongues, you want to be filled with the power for service. I want you to come over here. Look at these young people. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, change us. Lord, fill us. Lord, transform us. I want the saints to get with them. I want you to stand behind them. I want you to begin to pray with them. Come on as we sing it. Oh, won't you come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. Oh, come. Let the power of the Holy Ghost come right now. Hey, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. 
You can have whatever you need. Jesus made it possible. Right now, you can have a miracle. Right now, you can have a heart change. Right now, you can have power for the journey ahead. Right now, you can have it by faith in what Jesus has done. aspect of it is for you. Every aspect of it is for you. It's received by faith. You can't make God do something that he already wants to do. You can only receive it. And you can receive whatever you need from him. He's that good of a father. There is therefore now no condemnation. You're justified standing ready to receive the changes that you need and the power you need. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not available. Sometimes he doesn't move when we first ask. But he's told us if we'd ask and keep on asking, if we'd seek and keep on seeking, everything you're asking him to do for you, he will. He will. And I know it's God's will that our heart be changed. And I know it's God's will that we be equipped for service. So whatever you're asking for, if for some reason you don't sense that you received it tonight, don't be discouraged. Just keep right on asking. And before you get home tonight, before you lay your head on your pillow, you just might find that God has planted something new on the inside because your faith has reached out said my power source is the Holy Spirit and he can come to me because my father has released him to us who are his children he's there for me and he's there for you I love you I just can't tell you your response tonight is an encouragement this young group of people that I see good for you I wish when I was your age I'd been right where you are tonight. I wish when I was your age, I'd been right where you are tonight. Happy birthday. Good for you. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop till you get what you're asking God for. And then when you get it, tell somebody. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. It's going to be magnificent. Hallelujah. Give me an F, please. I think that's right. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. Since I laid, oh, now, 
now, Mr. Thatcher, you, you're just moving too fast. Stick with me. All right. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. Yeah, with the bass right there. Since I laid my burden down. Now we got a cooking. Glory, glory. So much, so much better. Well, since I laid down, I'm feeling so much better. Somebody would sing Glory, glory, glory Hallelujah, hallelujah Oh, since I lay My burden down Glory, glory, glory Hallelujah, hallelujah Well, since I Can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you, and God bless you and your family. Amen.